0: now to our uh, study as we uh, continue to look at this section in John chapter 15. Now this morning we're going to uh, talk about uh, two, I suppose you could say, words or concepts or understanding that you might describe as being the two most uh, misunderstood uh, in the whole of the Christian life. And uh, the two words or the two concepts that I'm talking about are the concept of obedience And also the concept of love. So just think about those two words for the moment. And uh, you'll begin to immediately say to yourself, yes, these two words are fraught with potential difficulties and problems when it comes to our understanding of exactly what they mean. When we talk about love, that can range from a whole range of different things. Um, Some of them, pretty pretty sordid, quite frankly, And yet, there we are, the world includes them in love. And then when it comes to obedience, the world says, ah, that's not for me, (laughs) who wants to be obedient? Um, Any children here, uh, young people, teenagers like being obedient? Well, you know, there are some things that we're sort of happy with and there are other things that we just don't like. And I'll be honest with you and say, the concept of being told what to do for any of us is a challenge. It's not easy, it's not something that we immediately want to um, uh, grasp hold of, and so on. So today is the fourth study out of five. Next Sunday morning, God willing, will be the close of this particular series where we've been looking at uh, the whole issue of abiding. And uh, if you need to catch up on anything, then go away and read the whole of uh, John 15, rather, verses 1 to 17, because that's where the messages are are based. But we've looked at the uh, secret of bearing fruit and one of the discoveries that we had when we looked at that particular point is the fact that the Christian doesn't have a problem with our identity now I've stressed this over and over again because this should help us all to understand who we are and what we're here to be doing because the Christian is attached to Christ we're bound into the vine This is what the Scriptures say. This is what John 15 explains. So our our identity as believers is that we are in Jesus Christ. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We're more than just followers in that sense. We are one with Christ in the sense that He lives within us and that we are to be uh, joined to Him. So that's our identity but then what is it that we're supposed to be doing now lots of people in life today seem to struggle over this particular point why am i here what is this all about what is 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 the purpose of my life and the number of times you hear particularly young people struggling to understand you know why what is the purpose of my life and some of us you know we've been living quite a long time and we're still wondering about that well if something doesn't happen quickly <laughs> you know it's all going to be over and 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 we will have never discovered it. I was in Home Hardware yesterday, and a guy came up to me and he said, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I heard you died. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. So, so I had to assure him that the comments regarding my death were very premature <laughs> at this moment in time. But I did think that was quite funny, and uh, I enjoyed talking to him when we were able to catch up. On, uh, on a number of things, but we discover that uh, our purpose is to bear fruit. Okay, and so the question, out of the whole of this little series that we've been looking at, and I'm sorry it's been interspersed with me not being well and all the rest of it, but it is, you know, how fruitful are you in your life? Do people know you're a Christian? Is there enough evidence if you were, if being a believer was against the law, to convict you? Or would they just sort of let you off due to insufficient evidence? These are things that we need to consider and to look at. And this is uh, what this series is, uh, is, is talking about very clearly. And so today, we're going to come on to, um, if, you, if you remember, the last uh, study that we had uh, a few weeks ago was The Secret of, obi- of Abiding is obeying and uh, as read, as Jack was reading those uh, verses to us we see that that's very clearly stated to us as the father loved me I have also loved you abide in me if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandment and abide in his love what tremendous verses of scripture we have before us and those verses that uh, Jack also read from um, the Psalms again a wonderful section of scripture We've journeyed uh, through some amazing verses as we've been looking at this subject. We've journeyed through some pretty uh, personal encounters with Christ if we've allowed ourselves to actually hear the words that have been spoken. We've faced in our journey some, some challenges Because as we've already pointed out, this section of Scripture is not written to unbelievers. John 15 is written to believers. And we know that these verses contain some enormous challenges. I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, listen carefully, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So next week, we're going to finish by looking. What does it mean to be thrown into the fire? Because that's what the verses talk about. So we mustn't get confused as to what's being spoken of here. This chapter is for believers. Our text this morning is just verses 9 and 10. And these verses explain a great lesson for us. They explain this lesson. And as I say, it's not one that we naturally are drawn to. But the secret of obeying is loving. You see, God wants our obedience. We can't get away from that fact. There are people that talk, uh, aren't there, that, uh, that say something like this. This is how it goes. I've heard them here in, in the town. I've, I've read them on um, on Facebook, Facebook's terrible. Does anybody have Facebook here? Don't put your hands up, all right? Some of the things that are said are just awful, aren't they? And so to excuse any form of our lifestyle, what people now say is, well, God is a God of love, therefore I can do anything I want. that that, that's the thinking Now, we've seen quite a lot of it regarding um, lifestyle, sexuality, and so on. I'm not just referring to homosexuality. There are many aspects of our sexual uh, being that, you know, God is a God of love. Therefore, I can do anything. I have free license. I can do whatever I want. I can go anywhere I want, do anything, because God is love. Therefore, he's never going to send me to hell. This is the sort of way the thinking operates and the thinking goes. And then the idea of obeying doesn't come naturally. So the question that we're looking at this morning is, how do I obey? That's it, very simply. And you'll be pleased to know that it's a short message today. Um, And essentially, I just want to touch on the fact that we have some very strange ideas of the Christian life and obedience, don't we? Now, some of you who I'm about to, or some of the, the points that I'm about to make here you might suddenly realize that you're one of those people. Okay, now I just want you to know that I'm not out to get you, but if you feel convicted in any way, it's the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you, not me. But we need to cover them. And essentially, uh, there are three forms or levels of obedience that we see people in churches in the Christian life adhering to. And the first one is that we obey god because we have to now i want you to analyze that statement for a moment you have to obey god with gritted teeth i don't want to do this god but i will do because i have to now if that's you this morning and you, you know you've read the bible you've read the ten commandments and you're going to live like they are Uh, Perhaps you've been to a church where the Ten Commandments are read out every Sunday morning, and you're going through the list, and you're ticking them, saying, yep, okay on that one, okay on that one, okay on that one. And at the bottom, you put 10 out of 10, you've managed it. But you see, that's not what it's all about. Because an obedience that is based upon fear is not what God wants us to experience. Because how can we have joy in our Christian lives if we're doing it out of fear. And so that's one of the lessons that we need to recognize that so often today, uh, people struggle with. Now, if you have your Bible and uh, you'd like to turn, but you can just listen if you would uh, prefer to do that. 1 John uh, chapter four and verse 18. Now we know that 1 John is uh, a little letter again, very, very often misquoted. Uh, there's that verse and we'll talk about it later that says God is love and therefore that means I can do absolutely anything I want to because God loves me that's it okay and this this connection between the love of God between the love we have for God and our obedience toward God and his commitment to us is lost completely but if we just read in verse uh, uh, 18 of chapter 4 we get these wonderful words again a, a tremendously exciting verse it says there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Now, are you beginning to see just how exciting the Christian life is when you begin to understand that it is not based on fear at all? When you're driving along the road, um, I think Nick's just got a truck and he started to drive. And I don't know if Nick's got into the habit yet, but one of the habits that you pick up as a driver as time goes by, is that you regularly look in the rear view mirror because it's very important to know what's going on behind you. And you're driving along and you glance in the mirror and you see a police car, instantly your foot goes to the brake. Because you know that if the police are behind you, you need to be careful. And you might be doing perhaps 90, and you drop down to 80. You might be doing 82, and you drop down. You might be doing 78, and you still slow down because there is a fear that somehow you're doing something wrong. Friends, the good news this morning is that's not the relationship that we have with God. You see, we obey God and his commandments the way that he wants us to live our lives, because we love him. And we know that God has only brought these commandments, instructions for the way we live our lives, because he loves us, because he wants the very best for us, because we're treasured we his treasured possessions. And so we soon discover that we are obedient because of love. And we have great joy in that. Interesting ringtone. <laughs> Perhaps uh, the time of the year is coming up for filling out your tax form. And you sit there and you look at all these numbers and you're thinking to yourself, well, if I just underestimate these and overestimate these, it'll be to my advantage. And then you remember Fred down the road and he got into trouble with CRA because he did just that and it caused him problems. And so you're careful about the numbers that you put in those boxes, those lines. But you do it more out of fear. So this is the first level, if you like, that we see. I want us to remember that fear is not the best motive for obedience. Let's just read verse 15 of uh, John 15, if we may. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. This is an incredible verse, isn't it? This is our Lord speaking, and He goes on and He says this. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now, what's this talking about? In some circles, if I said Jesus was my friend, you'd be, in, you'd get all upset. And yet here are these verses, but you see the picture that we have here is one which is utterly incredible. Look at the link between Jesus and the Father. He says, everything that the Father has said to me, I share with you. Because what we're talking about is that Jesus is King, and we're talking about the friends in the court, the friends that have that privileged position of relating and having that relationship with the Lord Jesus. And he tells us everything that his father has told him. And he passes on to us. So it's not a friendship which is a buddy-pally one that you see. You still have the reverence for Jesus. But there is that friendship that is granted to us. And we praise him for that. I no longer call you servants. Jesus is saying my relationship with you is much deeper than that. But fear can rob us of real joy that God wants us to experience fear builds walls not bridges so that's the first one the second one the second level of obedience is a selfish one we obey why because we need to now what do I mean by that well you suddenly find yourself in some sort of bargaining game with God if I give you 10% of my income God what are you going to give me if I give you so much of my time Lord what are you going to give me And so we come up with this idea that we're going to be obedient because of what he's going to do for me. Now, it's a scary thought, but if we read in the Scriptures, Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter is a tremendous illustration of this this level of obedience. When he asked Jesus and he said this, he says, Look, Lord, slight transliteration here, okay, but we can look up the verse. He says, Look, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Okay, then what does he say? He says, what then will there be for me, for us? So you see, we see it in the scriptures. And if, if, if you're trying to be obedient through a selfishness, God knows. Small children obey their parents because they're afraid of being told off. But teenagers are an entirely different kettle of fish, aren't they? Because they've grown up and they've learned a few things. Now, some of you are sort of like, I can see they're sort of slinking lower down in the pew at the back there. But you've learned some things, haven't you, that if you are nice to mum and dad and certain issues, you can, you can get what you want. Fathers here particularly, when it comes to daughters, you know, a daughter can just look at you and you just give her whatever she wants, you know. So the, the son... He's 16, he wants to go out in the car or whatever it is, 17. And suddenly he says, can I mow the lawn? Now you're immediately thinking to yourself, there's something wrong here because (laughs) he hasn't done that. And his room's tidy. His sports kit's been washed. (laughs) Because he knows that there's a greater chance that you'll loan him the car. Some of the girls here, you know, they... They have a look in their wardrobe and they're thinking to themselves, ah, new fashion's coming out, we've got to do something about this. And so they help baking and making dinner and washing up in the kitchen because they know mum's got a credit card and if they're really nice to mum, she'll take them out shopping and come back with a few new outfits. Do you see what I mean? Does that help you to understand? Yes, it's selfish, but the teenagers have discovered that it works nine times out of ten. And many people who call themselves Christians live on this bargain basement level. Their obedience is measured by what God gives them. And if they don't get what they want, then there's a problem. And they turn away from God. Because they didn't have everything that they had wanted now, if you could turn uh, to Daniel. Now, why in the world would you look at Daniel? Well, there's a gripping verse or section here which uh, I think we quite often miss. Um, so, uh, Daniel's tucked away in the Old Testament. If you can find Ezekiel, you're very close. It's just after. And Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Daniel 3, 17 and 18. <laughs> So, verse 17 says, If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. So, we know the story. We've got the setting here. They don't obey the king, and so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And then they go on and say this, And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But have you ever noticed verse 18? But if not, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not deserve, sorry, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. See, there's this idea going around that As long as uh, I do everything God wants, he'll do everything I think he should do. But according to his word, Daniel knew that it may not be that way, but this was still the way that they would live. You see, the highest motive... For obedience has got to be love it's that simple nothing complicated and we close today with just four very simple points that the bible talks about love and our obedience i do not have to make the point that the subject of love in the bible is misunderstood we've explained that already People often quote that verse in 1 John 4 verse 18, God is love, and for some reason they believe this allows them to live their lives in whatever way they wish to do so. They can do whatever they want because God is love. One of the first doctrines that gets thrown out when people start to question the existence of God is the reality of hell. How can a loving God send people to hell? But they all forget that it is not God that sends people to hell. God has done everything to rescue us from hell. In fact, He went so far as to send His Son the Lord Jesus into this world that whoever believes and puts their trust and their faith and their hope and repents of their sin will be with him in heaven. So why is love the highest motivation of obedience? Well, number one, Love is centered on the giver, not the gift. Love is about relationship. The love Jesus is talking about here is all about our relationship. Jesus and his Father is the example that is shown to us in verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, so I have loved you. The same way that God the Father and God the Son... That love is demonstrated. There is that relationship. Love establishes a personal relationship with God no matter what God gives or even withholds. Let's just quickly look at one verse in Job. uh, Job chapter 13. Uh, Job is uh, one of those uh, accounts in the Scriptures which uh, is, quite frankly, almost beyond belief, isn't it? Um, Satan has come in and things have changed in Job's life and verse 15 says this though he slay me yet will I trust him Satan was certain that Job would curse God when Job lost his possessions when he lost his health. And truthfully, my friends, if Job had been like some of us here this morning, that's exactly what would have happened. But Job knew that his Redeemer lived. Job is possibly the oldest book in the whole Bible. And those words stand out. I know that my Redeemer lives. Do you know your Redeemer lives? Where there is love, there can be no bargaining. Here's a story. You all know this story really well. A young man is walking along, and he sees the most beautiful girl in the world. That's the view he has. She's absolutely stunning. He's besotted. And he says to himself, I've got to marry this girl. She's all I want. And so he does the proper thing and he goes to the girl's father and he says, I want to marry your daughter. And the father says, okay, but after you've worked for me for seven years... Now, I don't know if there's any young men here who are thinking of going and asking the girl's father uh, if they can marry. And what would you do if that statement was made? Yeah, in seven years after you've worked for me. And you think about it for a moment, and you look at the girl, and you say, yes! How quickly do you think those seven years took to go by? Anybody want to hazard a guess? What does the Bible say? This is the... This is the point. Because Genesis 29 verse 20 says this, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is that our obedience to God is not onerous shouldn't be hard work if our love for god if our love for the savior is as it should be friends when we love the savior with all our heart obeying becomes joy why is love the highest motivation of obedience because love does not measure sacrifice How did Jesus prove his love for us? By going to the cross for us. Love is the highest motive for obedience because God is love. We've spoken of this verse already. Why does God give us his commandments? It's obvious, because he loves us. Why do we obey? Because we love him. Because we love, we do not question God's commandments. Or seek to change them. And when we do question them. And when we do seek to change them. It tells us we've got the problem. Because God. Only wants the best for us. And if we try and do something outside of that. Then we're not in God's will. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Lastly, love is the fulfillment of the law. If a husband and a wife love each other, they don't need to be reminded of the rules that the government lay down for how we should live. Because, guys, you won't hit your wife if you love her. And, girls, you'll be gracious to your husband when he fails. You don't have to be reminded if you love each other. Now, if you're struggling with that sentence, then you need to book in for the 16th, okay? That's February the 16th, and uh, we need to try and and help you in that respect. If you've got children and you love them, you don't think to yourself, now what did CAS say about how I should treat my children? What does the government say about how I should treat my children? You don't need anybody else to tell you because you love your children. A father is stood outside of a house and it's on fire and he looks up and he sees his child in the window upstairs. What does he do? He rushes in, facing danger, to save that child. Why? Why? because some moral code tells him he has to know, because he loves the child. The parent cares for their children because they love them. Friends, God does want your obedience. He wants my obedience. Don't be fooled by that. But he wants it to come from the heart. The secret of obeying God is to love Him, is to be immersed in Him, is to jump into a swimming pool of His love. It's like you stood on the seashore, maybe a a lake as well, they're pretty big. And and the waves just come rippling in. You haven't got your shoes on and you've rolled your trouser legs up because you just want to dip your toe in the water. And the water comes in and it surrounds your feet and, and it feels perhaps cold, it feels nice. But then you look out and in the distance you see this great big whale jumping out of the water and diving back in. Now that's a picture of God's love. And too many of us are just content to roll up our trouser legs, pant legs, whatever you call them, and just dip your toe in the water But God wants you to be like the whale, diving down, surrounded by his love. And then you discover that obedience to him becomes a joy and a privilege.